into the darkness you shine out of the ashes we rise there's no one like you no
Father, we come to you and we indeed acknowledge that the heavens declare the glory of God. You are the creator. You have created all things and in and of yourself, your word says you sustain all things. You hold all things together. We thank you today, Lord. We worship you. We worship you because of who you are. And there is no one else who deserves our worship, our devotion, our adoration, our service, our lives. And so, Lord, we just, we gather together here today to worship you, to exalt the Lord Jesus, to lift him up, to present him. For he said, and I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. So we exalt him and lift him up. And we worship you now, Lord, as we give to you. This is an act of worship. It's an act of obedience. It's an act of trust. It says we believe in what you say. and We believe your word. That you will meet all of our needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Thank you for the privilege and the opportunity of giving into your kingdom and into your work. We thank you for the the grace that you have given us. So therefore, we give to you 
We give cheerfully. We give excitedly. We give with anticipation. We give because we want to see how you will work. We know that you are at work every day. Jesus said, my Father is always at his work. What are you doing today, Father? Let us join you in that work to expand your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Never make changes in the program without checking with the boss. <laughs> oh. We, uh, we'd like to have communion this morning, and uh, the children have joined us, and uh, so we're going, to, we're going to do communion now rather than at the end of the service, and uh, so let's just, let's just bow our heads for a moment, and Father, we just want to thank you uh, for the Lord Jesus, and uh, we want to thank you for, for what he did for us. Uh, your word tells us that he that knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Uh, Father, we just we acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. We acknowledge that the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he was that he was crucified and he was buried and on the third day he arose. And he is now seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. We believe that his death 
on the cross, His shed blood, is the only answer for man's sinfulness. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, I pray that as today, as we partake of the elements that are before us, that the reality of what Jesus has done will once again uh, burn into our spirits and remind us of your incredible mercy and your incredible grace to us. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're here this morning, um, here's, here's how we practice communion. Here are the prerequisites for communion at Community Bible Chapel. If you believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you can take communion. Uh, there are no, uh, this is not a closed communion. Or you have to be a member. Some places you have to be a member. Here you don't have to be a member. You just have to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what you're about to do is go up and take some bread which represents the broken body of Jesus who hung on the cross and the word says that He bore our sins in His body on the cross. Okay? So He took our sins in His body and God meted out to Him all the punishment that was necessary to satisfy God's anger against sin. Jesus took that in His body. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we were healed. All of that Jesus took in His body and hung on the cross. Isaiah 53 says it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. God did that for us. And then you're going to have some grape juice. <laughs> Little guy was helping me this morning to fill, the, to fill the cups, and he goes, this is grape juice. They think they're getting wine. <laughs> I said, no, they don't. They think they're getting grape juice. <laughs> the grape juice represents the blood of Jesus. You are going to take into you a liquid that represents the blood of Jesus. That, the blood that represents the life. You see, the life is in the blood. And when Jesus shed His blood, He was giving His life. So you are taking into you the, very, the, repre, the symbol of the very life of Christ, which He gave for you. You can't do that lightly. You can't do that without knowing Him as your Lord and Savior. So, if you know Him as your Lord and Savior, you're welcome to partake of that this morning. Here's how we do it. You get up, you walk forward, you take a piece of the bread, and you take a cup, and you can either come back to your seat and partake of it there, or you can step to the side and partake of it there, and then come back and, and, and be in uh, a 
be in reverence while everyone else takes part in it as well. I'm going to pray for the elements because the Bible said that when Jesus did this, the last time before he went to heaven and he said, I'm not going to do this again until I do it with you in my kingdom, we want to ask the Lord's blessing on the elements. So let's do that. Father, we come to you. We thank you for the bread. We thank you for the grape juice. We thank you for what they represent. They represent the broken body of Jesus and they represent his shed blood. And we, we cannot thank you enough. Jesus, for giving your body and giving your life so that we might have life more abundantly here on earth and eternal life in heaven someday. So as we receive these, Lord, we receive them with joy. We receive them with gladness. And we remember that because of what Jesus did, He has removed from us the very thing that made us children of wrath. We are no longer children of wrath. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And we praise your name for it. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been looking at the book of Romans, and we will continue to do that. We will, we will be in chapter 11 this morning, if you'd like to follow in your Bible. Um, <clears throat> we're going we're gonna to look at the last few verses of chapter 10, just to bring our thought process in line with where we're going to go in chapter 11. Last week we talked about, um, <clears throat> in, in chapter 10, where the Bible says that um, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, uh, you will be saved. And uh, we, we talked about that. Today we're going to just pick up again in Romans 10, 11 and 13. And I'm just going to read through here to bring us to chapter 11 just so that we, again, our thought process can, uh, can uh, get lined up. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I ask... <clears throat> Did they, excuse me, <clears throat> did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. 
Again I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation, and I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I, I was found by those who did not seek me, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me, but concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Now, as we talked about last week, the idea here is that God is making the, uh, this proclamation to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And he's saying to them, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we talked about that, that it's not just saying Jesus is Lord, but it's literally saying Jesus is God. It's acknowledging that God is the one who hung on the cross. It's acknowledging that it was Him that suffered and died for our sins. And you believe that He was raised from the dead. You will be saved. That proclamation is being made to Jews and to Gentiles. The Jewish people, some of them believed. But as we just read, not all Israelites have believed. And because there was a rejection, for the most part, by the Jewish people, the message then went to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles embraced the message. And began to, uh, to, to believe and to trust in Christ. It was God's plan to go to the Jewish people first. He came unto His own. His own received Him not, but to as many as did receive Him, He gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them who believed on His name. Now, in chapter 11, Paul asks the question. He said, did God reject His people? By no means. I'm an Israelite myself, he says, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Now, here's, here's Paul, and he's talking to us in chapter 11 here, and he's, he's talking to the Gentiles, the people in Rome, and he's saying, I want you to understand something, that even though Israel rejected, for the most part, rejected the message and the person of the Messiah, he has not, God has not forsaken Israel. He has not rejected them beyond repair, beyond recovery. He has not thrown them out and said, I will have no longer have anything to do with you anymore. He said, just as it was in the days of Elijah, where Elijah thought that just from the very actions and the behavior and things that he saw, he thought that he was the only one left 
that was serving God. And he cried out to God about it. I'm the only one. And God spoke to him and said, no, that's not true. You're not the only one. I have reserved for myself. I have reserved for myself. I have kept for myself. I have protected for myself. I have reserved for myself 7,000 people who have not bowed their knees to Baal. And Paul says, so too, even at the present time, where there appears to be a rejection of the person of the Messiah, Jesus. He said, so too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. Folks, that is one of the most powerful verses in Scripture. I, I'm going to tell you <laughs> The worst thing that you can say as a Christian is that's not fair. That's not fair. I'm going to tell you something. If you want to be treated fairly, then you need to have, then you need to come under God's justice. Because doesn't justice mean fairness? Literally, justice means fairness. (coughs) Do you want God to be fair with you? (coughs) Pardon me. I don't. I don't want Him to be fair with me. I want His grace. If He's fair with me, I hang on the cross. I suffer for my sins. I have to deal with that. But by his, when I get His grace, He's not being fair with me. He's giving me something that I don't deserve. You cannot work for grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works. Lest anybody should boast. You see, there's, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to the understanding that I am a child of God, standing here right now, beloved, now are we the children of God. There's not a single thing that you and I can boast about in saying that. It all has to be on Him. The praise and the glory goes to Him because there's nothing that you and I can do to merit His salvation. Do you understand? There's nothing you can do. God by His grace, and this is one of those things again where as we talked about when we were in chapter, uh, I believe it was in chapter 9, where we were talking about the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. God, He says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. He says, he says here, right now, at this point in time, there is a remnant that has been chosen by grace. They didn't do anything to deserve it, but I chose them in my sovereignty. 
My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my thoughts and my ways above your ways. Why'd you pick them, Lord? First of all, he doesn't have to explain it to us. There's, it's his sovereignty. And if by grace, then it's no longer by works. And if it were, grace would no longer be grace. There is a remnant that's been chosen by grace. What then? What Israel sought so earnestly, it did not obtain, but the elect did. The others were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so that they could not see, and ears so that they could not hear, to this very day. Now, I want you to understand, and let, let, me, let me read this and then I'll come back. And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? No, not at all. Now, listen. The idea here that God would harden someone's heart or would put a veil over someone's eyes, that He would in any way hide Himself, or the the concept here that there are certain people who have been born to go to hell and others have been born for salvation. I reject that idea. But, I, but here's what I want you to understand. There, if, if you harden your heart against God long enough, if you harden your heart against God long enough, God can just, God just pull back and say, have it your way. Have it your way. But I want you to understand something, that in every person... God has put a measure of faith. And as we studied earlier in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1, the Bible says that the creation that we see out there is sufficient for someone to look at that creation and say, somebody had to design that. That it's sufficient to say that someone had to design that. They may not know who God is. They may not have a concept of what that God is like. They may have no knowledge of the Scriptures whatsoever. But there's something about the creation, about how beautiful and wonderful and magnificent it declares the glory of God, but the person who's looking at it doesn't have a clue who God is. The Bible says that without faith it is impossible to please God. If a man would come to God, he must believe that he exists and he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The measure of faith that God puts in the life of a person And it doesn't take much. We talked about this on Wednesday night. It doesn't take much. Jesus said, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain over there, 
be cast into the sea and it will obey you. So don't think that there takes this huge measure of faith for someone to look at the creation and say, someone had to make this. It couldn't have just happened. To then begin to pursue and try to find out something about who it was that made this. God said, if you seek me, you will find me. He is not a God who hides Himself. He doesn't play hide-and-seek with people who are looking to find Him. The measure of faith helps that individual begin to seek Him and to seek Him diligently. And when they find Him, their faith rises up and they, God, however He decides to do it, <clears throat> To send someone to tell them about Jesus or however it happens. But that measure of faith rises up and that person can come to Christ. They were hardened. They were blind. But they saw something. And something developed and moved. And, it, and when it germinated and it grew, it grew into faith that eventually trusted in Jesus. What then? What Israel so sought so earnestly, it did not obtain. But the elect did. The others were hardened. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so that they could not see, and ears so that they could not hear to this very day. Again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles, to make Israel envious. Now folks, I'll tell you something. Did you know, did you realize that you have received salvation from God through Jesus to make Israel envious. I wonder how that's working. I wonder how the church of Jesus Christ and its behavior and its lifestyle and the way it treats its Messiah Jesus and the way it, the way it acts in all areas, I wonder if the Christian world, those who name the name of Christ, are causing Israel to be jealous that they don't have Jesus. Ooh. This latter part of this chapter 11 is about you and I as God's people walking circumspectly. Watching what we're doing. Acting the way we should act. Behaving the way we should behave. Because according to Paul here, I'm not in the mood for a theological debate. But according to Paul, as we go on here, Nothing is for certain if you don't watch yourself. And you listen to the words, 
I'm not, in, I'm not in a debate here. I'm just telling you what it says. And you can take it from there. Listen to what it says here. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? Okay? They, man, imagine what it's going to be like when they do believe. I'm talking to you Gentiles. We have a few people in here that are Jewish, but most of them, most of you are Gentiles. He's talking to you and me. I'm talking to you Gentiles, insomuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I make much of my ministry in hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? They're dead right now, but if they turn around and come back, they're going to they're be... They're going to have life just like the rest of us. Listen, if part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. See, if the root is holy, so are the branches. In John chapter 15, we have the, the, the passage where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, my father is the gardener. And if you, remain in, if you remain in me and, and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. And I've sat and listened to a lot of people debate about what that fruit is. What's the fruit that he's talking about? Which vine are you hooked up to? Which vine are you hooked up to? It depends on which vine you're hooked up to. It depends on what fruit it is. If you're hooked into the vine, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you're hooked into the vine, where, if you're hooked into the vine that Jesus is the vine, then the fruit should be what Jesus is. That's the fruit. If the root's holy, the branches are holy. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, the Gentiles, the branches broken off were the Jewish people. And you, the Gentiles, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. This is a picture of an actual olive tree with grafts. Those little prongs coming up out of the stumps that were there. Those are new grafts that have been put in. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. Folks, we're, we're a part of the... We're a part of the, the root. I mean, we're a part of the, the tree. We have been grafted into the tree. We were over here. We belonged to a wild tree over here. We were taken from that wild tree. And we were, in, we were grafted into this holy tree. 
Now, that holy tree came out of Judaism. Christianity has its roots in Judaism. Jesus was Jewish. The apostles were Jewish. The first, the first 3,000 people who believed, at least, were Jewish. The Old Testament, the whole Old Testament, if you, if you want to understand the greatness and the wonder of the New Testament, if you want to understand the beauty of the, of the New Testament, you have to understand the Old Testament because the Old Testament is what gives meaning to the New Testament. And the New Testament, we just look at it and we go, whoa, this is so much better. This is better. We don't support the root. The root supports us. There you see the flourishing, a flourishing olive tree that the branches have been grafted in. The branches didn't cause the root to grow. The root caused the branches to grow and flourish. And there you see another picture of a, just a stump that had branches grafted into it and is now flourishing but it's the root that is nourishing the branches. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I can be grafted in. There he's doing it. Cutting off the branches so he could graft in new branches. Granted, Paul says, granted, there, there were Branches that were cut off. There were branches that were broken off because, so that the new branches could be grafted in. But listen to what he says. They were broken off because of unbelief. They weren't broken off to make room for you. They were broken off because they didn't believe. And because they didn't believe, they were cut off. And that made room for you, but they weren't cut off to make room for you. They were cut off because they didn't believe. And you stand by faith. Listen to his words. Do not be arrogant. Did you hear him? Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either if you fall into unbelief. If you do the same thing that the original branches did to get cut off, if you do the same thing, He'll come in and He will not spare you either. Do not be arrogant. Do not think that, I'm grafted in. There's nothing they can do about it. Do not be arrogant. Be afraid, Paul says. 
Consider, therefore, the kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Do not be arrogant. Do not think that you hold up the root, that you cause the root to grow. Do not be arrogant into thinking that, oh, someone else was cut off so I could come in. I'm a grafted branch. Nothing, nothing can be done about that. I'm in, for, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And then begin to do anything but to live circumspectly, to live to live a life that is pleasing to God, to be careful about how you live. This is a call. This is a call to God's people. The world... Uh, let, me just, let, me, let me just stop for a second. I understand where Paul talks about, and he says, I, to the Jew I become like a Jew, and to, uh, to the Gentile I become like a Gentile. I have become all things to all men, so that by all means I might win some. I understand what he was doing there. But what he didn't say was, to the world I have become like the world. You do not become like the world to win the world to Jesus. You become less like the world so that your life in Christ attracts people who are broken and miserable and unhappy and they see your joy, and they see your peace, and they see the, the, what you have in Christ no matter what the circumstances are, and that holiness that you project and you live and who you are because you have Christ in you is what attracts people. Jesus was the holiest man to walk on this earth, and he attracted sinners to himself. They loved to hang around Jesus. We do not win the world by becoming like the world. This is a call for us to become more and more like Jesus so that the world will be attracted to us. We have been grafted in. We've been taken from the wild tree and put into the real tree. The one that has life-giving nourishment that comes from the root and comes from the head. If you, if you take another portion of the Scripture, it comes from the head. And you, you realize that that is where you are getting your nourishment. And the world sees how we grow.
And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. He's talking about the Jewish people. If they stop living in unbelief, God will put them right back into the tree again. He will graft them back in. And He won't... He won't cut other branches. He doesn't need to cut other branches off to make room. The cutting off only comes from unbelief. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. That hardening is only for the time while the Gentiles are responding and coming in And one of these days, the full number of Gentiles will have come in, and then God will reveal to Israel. And so all Israel will be saved. Gentile people, it would really be inappropriate to say, thank the Lord the Jews rejected him. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's not, that wouldn't be appropriate. But thank God that he, that in his wisdom and in his mercy and his grace, when Israel did reject their Messiah, that he loved us enough to let us hear the message of the Messiah so that we could respond. And one day when the full number of the Gentiles has come in, Israel God will open the eyes of Israel and they will see. The Deliverer will come from Zion and He will turn godlessness godlessness away from Jacob. And this is My covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the Gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your account. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs for God's gifts and His call are irrevocable. I will tell you, when God made the covenant with Abraham thousands of years ago, the day that the Jewish that God opens the eyes of the Jewish people down the road and they respond to the Gospel, they respond to their Messiah, I will tell you it is a direct result with the covenant He made with Abraham thousands of years ago. His call and His gifts are irrevocable. He is a God of promises and His promises can be believed. His promises can be stood on in the midst of the most dire circumstances that point in every other direction. You can depend on His promises because the gifts and His call are irrevocable. He cannot lie. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy on you. For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that He may have mercy on them all. And Paul just gets 
he just get blessed and he just goes, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And folks, I'm going to tell you, we can we can just we cannot understand the ways of God because they are far too high and above us, but we can rejoice and worship him in them and be, trust in him and believe in him and walk with him and we will have a profound effect on the world. Now the very next verse of scripture this is the this is the hook okay this is the hook for next week I'm going to put the hook out for next week the very next verse is chapter 12 verse 1 which says there therefore okay therefore I beseech you brethren or I plead with you brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Okay? Because of the, therefore, because of the mercies of God, because of the, what mercies? Well, we got to go, see, the word therefore says you got to go back and see what the therefore is there for. We're going to find out next week what our reasonable, what is, what, what is, a reasonable response. What is yours and my? What is our reasonable response to the mercy and grace of God that we've just read about in these three chapters? What is what what is what could reasonably be expected from us? Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And we'll talk about it next week. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your mercy and Your grace. Lord, thank You that in spite of the fact that Your, that your chosen people rejected Jesus as the Messiah, that You in Your mercy and Your grace and Your sovereignty in, in Your ways and Your thoughts that are so high and so far above our thoughts, you allowed us as Gentiles to hear the Gospel message. And because You did that, we are here today. We stand before You as children of God. The Spirit witnesses to our spirit that we are Your children. We have been recipients of Your mercy and grace. We didn't have the law. We didn't have the covenant. We didn't have any of those things. But You brought us in and You, by Your mercy and grace, You changed us from being children of wrath to being children of life.
Thank you. We are recipients of your mercy and grace. Lord, next week as we look into chapter 12, help us to see what our what is our reasonable response to this incredible message of mercy and grace? Father, take us from this place today full of joy, full of anticipation. Take us from this place where we all sort of think alike and we are all brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're going outside the four walls of this church. We're going into the world. People don't think, they don't have a biblical worldview. They don't think about the things that we think about. Father, help us to be an incredible example of Jesus to the world. Let us lift Him up so that He can draw all men unto Himself. Let us glorify Him. Let us live our lives as unto Him. We thank You, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. And Amen. Could you turn that off? Um, just, I just want to say this before we go.